Hey bosses, we're happy to have the all-new FreshBooks as this week's sponsor. Find out more later in the show or check them out at freshbooks.com slash travel. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Achievement Unlocked. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 179 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Megan Gru... Uh, how do you say your last name? I'll let you butcher it. Give it Give it one try. Uh, Gogrian. <laughs> with Megan Goujon. Hey guys, welcome. <laughs> welcome Megan Goujon. That's there you go, name. perfect. So that is a French name? Yes. Okay, but you are from where? I'm from Ottawa. Very cool. And where are we now? We are in Gran Canaria, Las Palmas, to be specific. So the reason why... Well, actually, I wanted to have you on this podcast for a bunch of reasons. <laughs> Besides just being cool, be fun to chat. But you've had a very interesting life. And you won, I guess, a dream internship around the world that was all, all paid for. And if anything, they gave you a job at the end. Yeah, okay. pretty so much. Definitely won't get into that. And also, I'd be curious later on to talk about what you think kind of the the future is for, for work uh, remotely for millennials and things like that. But let's start with how we actually met. Oh, this is a great story. <laughs> so I had been in uh, Gran Canaria here for about a week, and I met this this woman, Jackie, and she kept telling me, Megan, I know you're interested in going to Chiang Mai. You have to meet my friend Johnny. He's like the mayor of Chiang Mai. And I'm like, okay, okay, yes, I'll meet Johnny at some point. Uh, one night she messages me and says, you'll be at this event we're going to. And I look up your name on the meetup invite. And, and first off, I'm not the mayor of Chiang Mai. <laughs> I don't know how that nickname came about. Oh, well, here in Las Palmas, Johnny is the mayor of Chiang Mai. Put that on the record. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay. So I saw it was Johnny FD. And I'm like, Jackie, is it Johnny FD that you're talking about when you say Johnny? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, okay. He's kind of the reason that I came here. I listened to one of his podcasts. He raved about Las Palmas and the events going on here in the community. And I literally booked my flight two days later. And I'm now here for a month. And what's crazy is that episode came out like not that long ago. No, it was within days when I booked the flight. I heard it right as it came out near the end of September. And I was here in October. That's insane. Like I've met a bunch of people now who have came to Chiang Mai and said they came because of the podcast. And honestly, I never really believed them. I always assumed like, okay, they probably already you know knew about Chiang Mai. They probably thought about coming. And then they Googled it and then they found the podcast. And they you know said, okay, well, you know, like your podcast is one of the reasons why I felt comfortable coming. But like, did you know much about Grand Canary and Las Palmas before the podcast? Um, no, like most of the world, I did not know it existed. <laughs> it's this tiny island um, off the coast of more Africa even than part of Spain. Um, I mean, I brought it up with my father and he goes, why do you want to go to South America? It's um, No, I had not heard of it. But then I started researching and this tiny island has, I swear, like an entire continent on it. It's beautiful, um, relatively affordable. Unfortunately, not quite as cheap as I was hoping, but fair. And I mean, the weather is amazing and the community of people here is the best. It's, I can't say enough good things about the people that I've met here. Yeah, the people here are super nice, super cool, even the locals too. And I think that's actually one big benefit of 
Las Palmas or Gran Canary over Thailand is in Thailand, it's very hard to actually get to know the locals. Uh, first, it's a big language barrier because most of us aren't going to speak Thai. A lot of people don't speak good English. But I think a lot of it's also cultural where even if you can communicate, like I've met a bunch of Thais who can speak good English, but very seldom will they come to our events or invite us to theirs. While here, it really seems like everyone's kind of mixed and integrated. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I like it. And actually, so speaking of like the whole world on, or, you know, seven continents on this island, this weekend we went for an organized hike and it was supposed to be to like the highest point in Grand Canary in the center of the island, but it rained. Yeah, <laughs> but this wasn't a problem at all because our guide just figured, okay, well, if it's raining here, we drive 20 minutes to the south and we're going to find sunshine. So we went on some crazy adventure. We ended up, I swear we were in Greece at one point, the way the buildings look. Yeah, uh, and like the it beach. Was, there were like the blue and white. It was like on on the sea and it had black sand and these like these rocks. And it looked completely different than the beach where we live in Las Palmas. And then we had like kilometers worth of sand dunes. You could think you were in the desert. We went through uh, volcanic craters, a, a little bit of everything. Yeah, and that was just it. one day. Yeah. I, I mean, I think to be fair, it was in total, it was a couple of hours of driving that day. But I mean, where else in the world can you see that much variety of like landscapes in a two hour drive? You can't. Like, where else can you actually like just drive away from the clouds and have it go from freezing? And, and like, we were cold. I think mm-hmm. we got out of the car because we, you know, we were thinking, okay, maybe we'll just hike a little bit. And all five of us like looked at each other like, it's freezing. Yeah. And I mean, when we say freezing, it's maybe 10 degrees and a little bit windy. So we're kind of um, wimpy with the weather. But yeah. all of us agreed. We're like, back in the car, let's find that sunshine. Because you know you can you can get there in a couple kilometers. I think the Canadians listening to this are thinking, she's not a thick Canadian. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, to be fair, we're all in shorts. Like, I was just... In, I guess I was in a long sleeve t shirt, but like, you know, this one guy in just a t shirt and shorts, you had like a very thin, like, Lululemon jumper kind of thing. So, like, it, it was cold and it was windy and it was wet. And, but I think what, what you said was kind of more on point is the fact that we had the choice to just back, go back in the car and just drive, you know, 20, 30, 40 minutes to the south and have it be sunny. We took advantage of that. Exactly. Well, if I was back home, it would be a, it would be a Netflix day. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you heard the podcast. Like, how long have you actually been thinking about, you know, kind of living the nomad life and, and traveling? Like, how did that, that all actually start? Okay. So how it started, I'll try to keep this as brief as possible. It was uh, last year in January, and I was in my last semester of a business degree. And at this point, uh, the idea of working remotely or digital nomads, this wasn't on the radar at all. All I knew is that I wanted to travel and I wanted a job that would let me travel. So I'm Googling like crazy tour guide or work on a cruise ship, things like this, like very traditional jobs that will send you traveling. I had two interviews in the works. One of them was for a research project to study the guerrilla tourism industry in Uganda (laughs) <laughs> right after graduating for um, a couple of weeks. And then the other one was an internship program that selects three people from around the world and takes them on an all-expenses paid trip 
around the world to learn about corporate travel management. And the itinerary included meetings with companies like uh, at the Emirates Airline Headquarters or Ericsson, Enterprise, just all over Abu Dhabi, Dubai, everything. So that was the, the other interview process. Wait, wait. So you're graduating from university. Most people, at least, you know, that grew up in North America and went, you know, went to school, we have no idea what we're going to do after school. And the choices that we have normally terrible. Like, I remember when I graduated university, I was like, I guess I have to get a job now. And I would go on, you know, monster.com or whatever it was. And I would look through and like, I either don't have the skills running this, I don't have the experience running this, or like, I just don't want to do this. This sounds like a terrible job. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like you had two amazing options. Like how, how did that even come about? I mean, did you know that you wanted to, you know, to do this when you were going through school? No, no, I had no idea. Like I said, I just wanted a job that would let me travel and there was nothing I was finding that was fitting that bill. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try for these two absolutely crazy things. I'll probably get neither of them. But if that's the case, then I'll just go out to Alberta for the summer and bartend or just do something fun to celebrate graduating. Wait, Alberta is fun? I, I had fun. I spent the last summer in Alberta. It's the Rocky Mountains. It's fun. But the goal was to get one of these. And it, both of them were just short-term travel. Neither of them would be a career that involved traveling. Either way, it was something to do when I graduated. And so how did you even hear about these two? Like the, I mean, helping or the research with the, with the gorillas you've gone, sounds awesome. How did you hear about that? It's actually with my, one of my um, professors for tourism in the business program. And he runs um, safaris out of Kenya. And he somehow got this opportunity to work with the tourism board in Uganda to study the, the ecotourism industry, focusing on the gorillas there. So he was offering the opportunity to a few students. So that's where I was applying through the school for that one. And the other internship, honestly, a professor mentioned to me, oh, by the way, there's um, programs out there that send students like you to travel the world when you graduate. I think it's called Around the World or something. He, he mentions this at the end of a class as we're leaving. And I Google it and the applications had passed days ago. But I put one in anyway and I begged them to accept me and they, they took my application. That's so crazy. So how many people were in that class? In that class? Uh, 35. And I wonder how, if any of them even bothered Googling None it. of them. None of them had heard of it because, surprise, I ended up getting both. That's so crazy. <laughs> Like, I wonder how many amazing opportunities there are out there, especially for college grads that either we just never hear about or as college grads, we're just too lazy to even do. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we hear about it, but we think it's a, it's a scam or we don't think it's going to work. We don't think we're going to get picked for whatever reason. While those companies are like desperately trying to find college grads to give these great opportunities to. Exactly. Um, I think it's a little bit of laziness on our side where... We almost are expecting or hoping that the career department at the school that we're graduating with is going to help find us that internship or is going to help set us up with that job when we graduate. So you're relying on them. I mean, so many of us would complain, I didn't get a good internship and the, the careers department didn't help me or they, they're not putting any good positions my way. And then on the other side, like you're saying, what are the chances? I mean, it was three people and this was open all around the world. The applications had closed. What are the chances? Is it worth putting in a 
2000 word essay that's the very first step before you go through months and hours worth of interviewing. I mean, there was aptitude testing as well, personality testing. It was intensive. What are the chances and what a huge time investment if you don't get it? Do you know how many people ended up applying? I don't. I don't have the number. Because I'm really curious how many people actually went through that because I think as a college student, I would be skeptical thinking... And, and I looked at the website after you told me about it and I was like, okay. this looks like spam. I wouldn't... like. I would If somebody sent me that link, I would think my friend's account got jacked. Yep. I thought the same thing. It wasn't until I got into the... Uh maybe the third interview round that I realized it was legitimate. I was sure this was a scam. I thought, okay, I'll do the Uganda trip because this one I would come home. I'd have literally two days before getting on a plane to Brazil. And I was sure it was a scam too. But then as you get into it more, you you get past that spammy first page and you realize it's it's completely legitimate. And it was. It wasn't too good to be true. It was everything that it was promised to be. So what's crazy is I wonder how many other opportunities like this are out there. How many like either corporations or government sponsorships there are for different things. And like and kind of just the just off the top of my head, a couple of things I've I've heard of that like, you know, let's say Americans who normally have to pay a ton of money to go to university, we can go to university for free in some countries. Like some places in Europe, I think I think it's like I don't want to say like Germany or Austria or somewhere where it's just completely free and nobody does it. Yeah. You know, and like there's, you know, after hearing about what happened with yours, I'm wondering how many people, like, how, like do you know how many years this has been going on? Like, how is mm. it? Like, I was what, fifth. So for five years, no, like, how come you didn't hear about this, you know, five years ago or if, you know, even two or three years ago when you were going through school? Like, why did he hear about it four days after the applications closed? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just because of where I was uh, studying in Toronto in Canada. Maybe it was marketed more in the States or in, in Europe. I'm not sure. But I agree. It's an amazing opportunity. And the company that's sponsoring it, which is the company that gives you the, the position when you finish the internship, is investing so much money in each person. So it's, it's a shame that it's not marketed or pushed out there more or made more awareness. When anyone hears that I've done it, it's... How did you hear about that? What is that? Does that exist? It, people are so interested, but they just don't know where to find it. So I know back in the day, everything had to be word of mouth, you know, or maybe they had a advert in some travel magazine or something. But now we have social media, now we have the internet. You would think these things would be shared so much more. And I actually remember when I was in high school, somebody had told me about a program where you can go to Taiwan as long as you have like... 10% ancestry there and you go there and it's government subsidized and they take you around the entire country. Like you can live there for free, food's free, transport's free. You just, and they even give you a discount on your paint ticket. And then someone else told me they do the same thing in Israel and then a bunch of other countries as well. And I think till this day, I wonder why doesn't every single high school and college student join these programs and how come they didn't even hear about them? Mm-hmm. And why not take advantage of it? I mean, the, desire to travel is huge and there are opportunities out there but you have to look for it and i think in some ways there's almost too much information out there where you don't know what website to go on because there's a hundred of them that will direct you towards these type of internship programs and a lot of them are working for free or you're paying to go overseas to volunteer somewhere the ones that you have to pay to go volunteer drive me crazy oh 
Like, I don't understand. How do you expect someone with student debt just graduating to spend thousands of dollars to get there and have the volunteer experience? But then they tell you, well, this will lead to a job later. You have to get your foot in the door. You have to have that abroad experience, which you don't. I absolutely had not traveled outside of North America prior to any of this. And they sell you on on that side of it, that it's for the experience. But even if it is, and you see the value in that, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. So you're missing out. Well, I actually think of it as just kind of like bad business business practice, bad fundraising on their part, almost kind of like lazy fundraising. So I've seen this with, you know, let's say elephant camps or something where, you know, you go and you help rehabilitate these animals and they might be doing a great job and doing what, you know, what they're doing. So like once you get there, maybe like the program is completely 100% legit and it's amazing experience. But instead of them finding actual funding or, you know, finding a way to monetize the either the tourism or something, you know, like that makes some kind of business sense that, that brings in enough money for them to be sustainable, they figure, hey, these, you know, these college kids, you know, with these kind of bright eyed dreams uh, and mm-hmm. their parents' wallets will come and, you know, they'll just give us money and it'll just be easier for us. And I think it's really taking advantage of college students yeah. and their parents. Mm-hmm. I was recently in Toronto, um, maybe a month ago, and they have this big expo called the Go Abroad Expo or Go Go Global Expo. It's held in Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver. And um, one of the sessions that was sold out, people standing outside the doors trying to listen in, was called Careers for Globetrotters. And the panel up there was just discussing these type of positions or where you go and you work for free or you go to places that you probably don't want to be and you're paying for your flight, you're paying for your accommodations, it's all volunteer. And they were just recommending that if you do want a position, do this or go teach English abroad. And that's when I kind of raised my hand and said, what about remote working? I ended up being invited onto the panel discussion and just asked questions about what it is that I do and how I'm able to travel around. And it was just opening the door and people like myself a year ago didn't realize that if you are a great web designer or you are excellent at customer service, I mean, it's not just the tech industry. Don't try to look for a job that's going to send you to travel. Look for something you can do online, get that salary and then send yourself. So it was just this whole other... It's a whole different mindset to wrap your head around new opportunities with internet, with technology. And I mean, being in Grand Canaria has opened my eyes up to the community. Yeah. So I'm curious. So before getting here, before coming here, how many other, you know, digital nomads, remote workers had, did you meet kind of in your lifetime, you know, growing up in Canada or yeah, I guess before you start traveling? None, none. I, um, I came back from that around the world internship program and I was working from a home office in Ottawa. That's where the position was going to be full-time from. And like most recent grads, I was covered in student debt. I had no apartment. I had no car. And um, my home office was my parents' basement. And that's when a light bulb went on. And I thought, wait a second. If I don't need to be in an office, it's coming into fall. The weather's getting pretty crappy here. I don't have a setup. I don't want to put a lease down because it's so expensive. And I don't want to be tied down. Why not start traveling? Why do I have to work from Ottawa? And that's when I discovered co-working and co-living. And it all spilled into this digital nomad idea and people that work from different locations around the world. And I was like, 
okay, this can't be true. People can't be doing this. And it again, it, something just shocked me. It was true. And I went to my employer. I pitched the idea to go work from Costa Rica because I'd be on the same time zone for about a month. And I was scared out of my mind, but I said it with confidence. There's a co-working space. They have internet. I'll be on the same time zone. You won't even know I'm gone. I'm terrified, didn't speak any Spanish. I went completely solo. It was three hours from the airport. Had no idea how I was going to even get to this space, but it, it all worked out. And I was in a beautiful office in paradise. And that just rocketed from there that, okay, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. This works. That's cool. So how did you hear about this co-working space in, in Costa Rica, what made you decide to go there first? Again, it was about the time zone and flights from Ottawa were so cheap. So I thought, okay, it's really warm. It's beautiful. Same time zone, cheap flights. And then there was this um, co-working space. It was Selena co-working. And I was looking at their photos online. I was looking at reviews and it all sounded good. And I had backup plans where if the internet wasn't working there, I would go somewhere else. But I was using uh, like Reddit threads, Reddit, Digital Nomad, uh, Nomad List, I just TripAdvisor for the reviews. And it looked like internet was available in Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica. So I just winged it. And I thought, worst case, I book a really cheap flight back home and I take this vacation days and I forget this ever happened. But it worked out. That's cool. That's actually really cool that you picked a place that isn't super common with, with nomads. I think actually one of the biggest problems with having so much information now on online forums, whether it be Reddit or Nomad List or a Facebook group, is that we often only go to places that have kind of been proven already. And I think there's ups and downs of both, right? I mean, it's good if you go somewhere and there's already information so you don't have to take that big gamble like you did. But at the same time, I think sometimes you start relying a little bit Thank too you. much on other people. So I applaud you for taking that gamble and I'm glad it worked out. Well, thank you. And I agree that there are definitely pros and cons. I mean, a major con of going somewhere that's not so well known is that you're more you and the locals. It's not that expat community or community of other people that are working like you. So one one struggle or downside with Costa Rica was that everyone else that was staying there was there on vacation. So it was a lot of partying going on around me. But on the bonus side, I had this beautiful, like stunning, like one view of the window of the jungle, one view of the beach office with blazing fast internet and service, every all of it just to myself every day. That's cool. So the people at the co-working space, were they on vacation and just working there for a few days or who, who was actually there? Um, there was no one there. There, there was no one. I'm not kidding. There would be guests that would occasionally come up to this rooftop co-working space and tap on the window and be like, what's going on in here? But I had a special key. I was the only one. This is a multi-level office and um, I'm hoping to get a review up very soon of it on YouTube. I have video footage. It's it's going to blow your mind. And it was 10 US dollars a day. I was the only one there. That's crazy. It's such a shame that people don't go to these places. I think, no. well, I'm sure it was nice for you that you are you had it all to yourself. That was so nice. <laughs> but at the same but time, also lonely. Yeah. yeah, and that's the downside is, you know, if nobody goes, it's not going to be sustainable for the business and they're going to have to close the doors after a few months. And also, if you were there for longer, you probably would have gotten, you know, too bored and lonely and had to leave. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 do, I do kind of think there, there's that balance of, having the place yourself and it's nice but then also you know wanting that business to to survive 
Exactly. And being here, and I know I've said this like three times now, but this is the first time I've actually been in this place that is so high up as a, a nomad destination. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, my image of digital nomads when I started this, much like my bosses still unfortunately is, is an 18 year old partier backpacker with a cocktail and a laptop on the beach. Like, that doesn't happen, okay? If you can work from the beach and you can actually see your screen, good for you. You have supervision. But you're in a co-working space and the variety of people and the variety of age groups and the fact that you don't need to be a single white male in the tech industry to make this work for you, it's, it's been amazing. The people here, it's all, all fields. Yeah, and I think that you actually made a good point is this, you know people from all different countries mm-hmm. but also all different ages. Like... What is kind of the age range that you've seen here? I'd say it's more like 28 to 40. Yeah, I think Grad Canyon, for some reason, is a slightly more mature crowd. I think Chiang, Chiang Mai is a bigger age range where you have people much older, like in their you know 40s plus, but also you have people much younger that are like early 20s. While here, for some reason, Grand Canary seems like it's, you know, it's kind of exactly what you said, like late 20s and to, to late 30s. Exactly. I love it though. It's like a very classy scene and it's another reason in addition to your podcast that I wanted to come over to Europe as opposed to going more Central America or I mean I, I'm dying to go to Thailand so I can't bash that at all but just to get that more professional scene and I mean you can definitely find it here. Hey bosses, I hope you are enjoying this episode so far. I just wanted to quickly thank our sponsor and tell you about FreshBooks for a second and how it can benefit you. So if you are a freelancer or you have any kind of online business, it is honestly the most important part to get paid and also get paid on time. There has been so many times that I've left money on the table by either not sending out an invoice when I should have or just forgetting to get paid for it. And I, and I know it sounds silly to <laughs> leave money on the table like this, but trust me, when you start getting busy, you have a lot of expenses, you have a lot of invoices, it's easy to get mixed up. So with FreshBooks, you can create professional invoices online and most importantly, have them sent every single month on the same day of the month. So whether you are editing a podcast, you have a service-based business, or really any kind of online business where you need to mind your client to pay you and pay you on time, definitely check out FreshBooks. Go to freshbooks.com slash travel. Let them know that we sent you. Also put in Travel Like a Boss podcast in the How You Heard About Us section and enjoy the rest of this episode. So I really want to hear about this trip, okay? So you applied for this random internship four days after it closed and you and you begged for them to accept your application. You went through, was it weeks or months of... Months. It, months of interviewing? Mm-hmm. Was that in person or over the phone? Um, all over the phone and then it would be Skype. And these interviews... Um, I mean, the first couple, the guy who, who heads it, he's amazing, but he builds your confidence in the interviews. So, you, you know, it's it's questions that you're kind of bragging about yourself. When you answer, you leave the interview, it's an hour long and you feel good about it. But then it would spur these interviews on you. Oh, we're going to have a, a panel discussion. And it's a panel of people on the phone. You can't see them. And they'll ask you these very direct questions like define project management. You give your answer and it's like, okay, next question. No feedback, nothing. And you feel like you left the interview just like it went horrible but then you get the call and you have another interview and it just keeps going so it was 
a lot of ups and downs and getting the call that I had received it at the end of that was, I mean, an absolute dream come true. I, I cried. I bawled my eyes out, called my mom. That's cool. So I, I guess before we even get to, um, like the countries you mentioned, cause I definitely want to talk about that. What was the company card called that they did there? It was through the associate association of corporate travel management. And then the hiring company that sponsors it is BCD Travel. Okay. And do you know what the website is if you wanted to check it out for next year? They would want to look on... I mean, you could look at it through BCD Travel or ACT, A-C-T-E, which is the Association of Corporate Travel Management. If you Google the Around the World program, that's where you'll find the information on it. And like Johnny mentioned, it looks a little bit scammy on the website. We're working on it. It is not a scam. It's the most amazing experience you can have. And it's, uh, go for it. Ignore the first page. Honestly, if I didn't meet you in person, if you haven't been hanging out for the last couple of weeks, I would have been like, no, like this thing is just wanting my email to send, to sell me some BS. <laughs> like it looks, tr- trust me guys, it, it looks that bad, but it's almost kind of a good thing as a deterrent for other people to sign up. So because you guys have the inside scoop, you will know it's worth, you know, spending your time writing that ready met essay. It is worth it. It is so worth it. And you will see once you get into the interview process, it's very professional. And I guess that kind of shows two like kind of two two tips or even if you don't go with this company, if you find another program, you know, just know that there are things like this out there. Yeah, just go for it. What do you have to lose? If it's a spam, then sure you maybe wrote an essay and you spent a little time on it or you made a video but you get past it because, hey, maybe it's going to be an all-expenses-paid trip around the world. Okay, so I guess my question is, why does this company sponsor this? Like, what's in it for them? It's um, an attraction and retention strategy to get new millennials into the company. So, I mean, you learn the corporate travel management industry inside and out in these few weeks. You really understand it. And then you go into the full-time position where it's it's called the Management Associate Program, but it's all paid. It's full-time hours, and that's the first six months of working for the company. And in that time, you have opportunity to do cross-training. You do a lot of different learning, um, extra tasks. It's almost a little bit like school and working at the same time. Uh, so they, they train you, they teach you, and it's to help with succession planning and kind of rocket new talent into the company but not have them start out at the base uh, bottom of the of the barrel okay that's cool so it sounds like this company just wants to attract you know college grads into their into the company and kind of train them up to be their yes. perfect employee and why do they send you around the world is that the perk or are you, are you actually is it is that part of the program to learn about corporate travel i think it's both i mean it's absolutely both and the reason it's um bcd travel and the Association of Corporate Travel Management that work together is because BCD more sponsors it. But then, of course, the association is the one that would have all the contacts um, with travel companies around the world. So they would organize the meetings for us, and then the BCD would be the sponsor behind it all. And um, if they didn't have that partnership, I don't know if we'd be able to get the same quality of meetings. And when you're doing the around the world, I'm not kidding you, you are up at 6 a.m., and you are in back-to-back business meetings, which I still, I, I mean, like I mentioned, we're at Emirates headquarters doing a full tour of the building, meeting with head of sales there who just speaks with the three girls that, the three of us that received this internship, we're nobodies. And they're so welcoming and offering us coffee and ask any question. 
I love that when you're just starting out or you're a student and you can ask any question without it sounding stupid or maybe being out of line. You sort of have this a bit of um, yeah, bit of leeway. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds cool. I think I would really appreciate that more now. Like I, I, I honestly, when I was like 23, I don't think I would have even like known what to look for, what to ask. You don't, but. You just have to go for it. And this is actually something someone here told me the other day was uh, the best advice she can ever give is to avoid shiny object syndrome. And I know that's not exactly applicable to this, but it's the idea of not being ready, always looking for something else, getting distracted by this, by that. So, I mean, you're never going to be ready. It's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be other things or more you could do, but you just got to go for it. Okay, I like it. So uh, where did you guys start? We started in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Okay. And the other two girls, where are they from? One of them was actually also from Toronto. And then another one from Germany. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so the three of you, did you meet for the first time in Sao Paulo? We did. Wow. Okay. That was was awesome. We had had uh, little Skype meetings before that. So we sort of, you know, faced to a name, but it's nothing like meeting in person and all having the shared experiences. We knew what we went through in the interview process and we knew what it took to get there. And it was such a high. So it was Sao Paulo, Brazil to start, and then up to Abu Dhabi in Dubai, over to the US, uh, back across the world to Beijing, China, then New Delhi, India, the Netherlands, Belgium, and, and finally on France. how many weeks? Six weeks. That's so insane. It was, yeah, yeah. I actually it remember you, insane. so when we, I think we were hiking or something, when you first mentioned it. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. And it wasn't until you sent me a video of your trip. And I was like, it became really real. I was like, oh my God, like she is literally everywhere in the world. And I think what made it even crazier for me was you looked exactly the same in every video. And I think you were in that same kind of like magenta pink Lululemon hoodie. (laughs) And I could tell that like, it wasn't, you know, over a couple of years or something because you looked exactly the same. Like it literally looked like you were just, you know, being teleported from country to country. And that blew my mind. That's a good way to put it, being teleported, because that's honestly what it felt like. And I, I can't tell you, waking up in Beijing, that's what it felt like. I felt like I was teleported from Canada to Beijing and I would have no idea where I was. I, I woke up in that hotel room like where am I? What what time is it? And I'm looking at the clock, but I just can't understand. It's that's that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Teleported. Like your like it was like your hair didn't even grow longer in that time. No. <laughs> okay, so let's kind of run through a couple of the countries. So you started in Brazil. What was that like? Oh, it was great. I have very fond memories of Brazil, mainly because of the people. And there's that vivacious Brazilian stereotype, but it was so true and we you know, we would get in with the locals' cars that would take us around while we were there and go to um, Brazilian Grill. It just You're just eating meat. If you're a vegetarian, don't go to Brazil because you're going to be served chicken hearts and meat by the gallons. So it was really the people and amazing food. That was That sums up Brazil for me. Nice. I like it. And then what was after Brazil? Dubai and Abu Dhabi. That's so random. You flew from Canada to South America to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And that must have been a huge culture shock. Oh my God. it It's nothing like you'd expect. So for for example, with Dubai, I mean, I had a preconceived notion of what Dubai would be like because I just lump it all together as a Middle Eastern country. 
but it is 95% expats that live there. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I and I think and I think it's because there just wasn't enough labor force. Exactly. And, but they wanted to expand and build. Mm-hmm. That's insane. So I I mean Dubai is very very international and everything is as over the top as you could possibly imagine it being. It's the tallest building in the world. It's um man-made islands and a ski hill in the middle of the desert. It is everything and I very curious to see what's going to happen with Dubai over the next few years and at the rate that they're expanding and it just seems must be bigger, must be better, must be higher. So we'll we'll see and uh, yeah, it's a lot to wrap your head around. It's a completely futuristic okay, I can city. That. And then Abu Dhabi? Very different. Abu Dhabi is more older, like an older city. I think I actually liked Abu Dhabi a little bit better. But if you're living there as an expat, you'd want to hit the international scene of Dubai. And they were only um, 40 minutes, I think, driving apart from each other. So I enjoyed Abu Dhabi. We were only there for two days, so I don't have too much to say about it. Okay, very cool. And then after the Middle East? Uh, we went back to the U.S. to um, one of our the company headquarters for VCD Travel. They have an America's headquarter in, the, in Atlanta. So we were visiting that main office there. And that, I mean, that was cool for me as a Canadian. The U.S. wasn't quite as exotic. <laughs> Have you been to the U.S. before that? Yes, yes. So just Georgia? Mm-hmm. Just for for that trip. I know just Georgia on this trip yeah. around the world. Okay, and then where? <laughs> uh, and then from there we went to Beijing. Oh God, I wait. I don't even know where to start with Beijing. I was a mess. I think it. It was like I said. It was the first time the the time zones really hit me. But also. Everything is different in China, I swear. It's, there's rules. There's so many rules that I don't know. And where you sit at the table to how you hand a business card to whether you look in the eye or not. I mean, I couldn't even figure out the ATM because the pin pad is reversed. Like so many things. So I, I never, I stumbled my entire way around China or Beijing, but it was also probably the most amazing experience because the one day on that was the great wall of china okay so that made i've actually heard that from a lot of people a lot of people i've met actually hated the big cities in china but they said the great, just the great wall made it worth it and i was told before we went to the great wall we were going on a sunday as well i was told don't go it's a tourist trap you're going to hate it you're not going to be able to walk you're not going to be able to move but on this particular Sunday, um, the week prior, the Thursday was actually a holiday in China. So because this apparently makes sense, because the Thursday is a holiday, the Sunday ended up being a working day. Oh, that's so random. Okay. I, I know. I, I don't understand, but it worked out for us. We pretty much had the Great Wall to ourselves. Wow. That's There's amazing. photos where you see so no one else in them. If someone, like as tourists, should we just go to the Great Wall like Monday through Friday when it's a work day? Um, I would say go on the specific Sunday sometime in July after that Thursday holiday. I can't give you advice for the rest of it. I can tell you that if you do go, um, they're going to give you two options to get down. This is where I can advise you. Okay. Option one is walk. Option two is bobsledded. You bobsled down the Great That's Wall. That's so insane. Yeah. When they offered the, the options to me, I laughed and the, the ticket vendor just stared at me with a straight face and said again, Walk or bobsled, um, <laughs> bob bobsled, I guess. <laughs> and like, wait, you're bobsledding on the rock? No, they have these like metal toboggan. Um, what's it called in the Olympics where they they have the people in like the shoots? Okay, 
That's so crazy. Yeah. And was a, what was that like? It was very fun. It's so random. <laughs> you have so to do random. it, but this is, this is common. So okay. that's my advice for the Great Wall. I can't tell you when to go except that Sunday. Okay. But definitely. So was this for, down first time in end. Asia? Yes. Okay. So I think getting thrown into Beijing was <laughs> very difficult. <laughs> but they say, and I believe this, that nothing can ever prepare you for Asia. Just period. Like, for Asia? Yeah. Just like the first time anyone ever goes to Asia, they are shocked. They're just like, I expect it to be busy. I expect it to be different and crazy. But every single person in the world, especially coming from North America, you go to Asia for the first time and just like, oh my God, I was not ready for this. Yeah. There's no way to prepare yourself. It's, <laughs> it's like a total mix of chaos, but then such order and structure at the same time. I, I can't even explain it. I was in a daze the whole time and everyone else seems to know where they're going. So I would follow along. Okay. That's crazy. So... After Beijing, you went to India. I, I can't even imagine how insane. Like to me, I don't like big cities in general. So to me, like Bangkok's too busy. But Bangkok is just like so. You have like so from from sit like busy city levels. You have like Toronto, which is not that busy, but it's a big city. Then you have like New York, which is like wow, that's so crazy. There's so many people. But then you go to like Bangkok, you're like, oh my god, this is a big city. Then you go to Beijing, it's like. There's there's too many people. This is like, this is madness. I can't even imagine what India is like. Uh, yeah. Like you're saying, nothing prepares you for Asia. Well, let me tell you, nothing prepares you for India. We were in New Delhi and I was, I was pretty nervous, honestly, going there just with the reputation for safety for women, especially. And we were three young women traveling and um, India is somewhere I want to go back to, but I don't think New Delhi is somewhere... I want to go back to. We went straight from the airport, chauffeured to our hotel, which is very close by. And the hotel was nice, but the surrounding area, I mean, you walk two meters and it is all slum. And it, I'm, it's just all in such close proximity. And I know it's not just India and not just New Delhi that is like that, but it was a different type of poverty. And I saw poverty in Uganda, but it's different when it's everybody and they're all kind of working together. It's all on the same level. Here it was super, super rich and super, super poor, but all together. So it was, it's a lot to take in. And then in going to the great, not the great wall, <laughs> I still got China on the brain, um, going to the Taj Mahal, that was just emphasized. Like Agra is, <laughs> Agra is something else. From what I've heard, Taj Mahal it's very pretty to take photos of from outside, but going inside is a mess. Oh, you do not want to go inside. I mean, you want to go inside because you made it all the way to the Taj Mahal and you have to go inside, but you are shuffled through. It is so hot. It is so stinky. I mean, you don't have any time to really look around. You can't take photos because you're just being pushed and pushed and pushed all the way to the exit. Then it's done. So I agree that you want to be on the outside. That sounds like, a ter like, that sounds like my nightmare. So I... I don't think I'll be going there anytime soon. No, no, that was not the best experience. The The whole Taj Mahal experience is something you need to prepare yourself for. And especially um, like for myself being blonde and very fair, you you get a lot of attention. And same with um, Barbara, who was the, the girl from Germany that was with us too. And people were throwing their babies on us. So thank God I didn't have my clumsy streak going on because that would have been awful. But I can't tell you how many family photos we're in now. And you say yes to one and then you end up 
with all these people and you you can't it's not like you can just say no and walk away you are yeah i think like a lot of people listening to this might be thinking like oh that sounds fun it's no it's not it's people grabbing you grabbing you and pulling you and it's almost i know it's a culture it's different but to me it felt so disrespectful it's not asking it's not nice it's throwing grabbing pushing pulling yeah i i can completely imagine that and you know, I applaud you for keeping your temper because I would have flipped out like that. Like, like I don't like being grabbed, especially. And you know, if I was in your situation, I would have like would not have been pretty. So, well, you've got a bit of a size <laughs> advantage on but me. I, think, I know, but like, I, I think even thinking that, I'm like, man, like for me, I still don't like being grabbed, and I don't even feel vulnerable. Like, I can't imagine being in a situation where. I don't want to be grabbed and I feel vulnerable. That would be like the, I would flip out. It'd be, it'd be like, like, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I, I was just saying, no, I put my head down and, um, Barbara and I kind of ran out of that area. Yeah. And that sucks, you know? And, but at the same time, I think the reason why we have these, these good and bad experiences is because there is good and bad experiences kind of in every culture. Mm-hmm. And, I think it's important, you know, for, for podcasts like this where you can actually hear both sides. Because I think there's so many, you know, like let's say, you know, must go visit places that you might read about on a website or on TV that they only highlight like how cool it looks. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, travel blogs will just show an amazing photo of Taj Mahal mm-hmm. and be like, oh, look, it looks great. You know, you should go there. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody talks about the other side of it. Exactly. And it is. It's beautiful. It's stunning. But there is that other side. Yeah. And so if you guys do go, you know, and you're like, okay, I know the risks. I know what to prepare for. I know what to watch out for. If I go, then that's going to be, you know, I'm going to know what I'm getting myself into. Exactly. Prepare yourself for it, but still be amazed by the beauty and the grandeur of it. Yeah. So go there in like black jeans, a sweater with spikes all over it. Maybe no, put- <laughs> you'll you'll die. I'm sorry. It is it is uh what fifty degrees? <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so an air conditioned spacesuit with barbed wire on it. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'll see you there, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> with maybe like um one of those like electric shock things. Like anyone gets too close, they get zapped. Oh god. They should sell that right in front of the Taj. Just like have that wrapped around. Oh, here. that's awful. <laughs> I'm like, hey, don't touch me if you don't want to get zapped. Mm-hmm. All right. So af- where'd you go after India? After India was back over to Europe. So we were in the Netherlands, uh, Amsterdam in particular. And I mean, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you listening have been to Amsterdam. It's beautiful. I loved it for the, the daytime, the canals, the buildings, the bikes. <laughs> you can't go to Amsterdam and not be amazed at the amount of bikes. I have no idea how people find those. I think they all steal each other's. And um, I would highly suggest if you go and you're interested in walking the streets or getting into some of the museums, just get up early. And by early, I mean eight. Like it is empty in the streets until 11 in the morning. And book all of your tickets for any of the attractions online days before. Everything sells out. You yep. can't and just get in line and go. Well. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what was after Amsterdam? Belgium. So we just spent a couple days in Antwerp. It was very beautiful. Chocolates? What? Yeah, good chocolate. And what was that other food that... The French fries there, Belgian fries? Ah, yes. They have chip wagons, like back in Canada, so you can get your steamy hot fries. Okay, very <laughs> nice. Uh, and what was after Belgium? France. And it was just a couple days, and I mean, it's it was Paris, so not too much to say. It's beautiful, but it's, again, you know, it's it's a big city. It's a little bit dirty, but it's 
beautiful. So how did like I was kind of like I'm like almost kind of mixed between thinking like when I saw what Rasta video, I was like definitely in awe. I was like, this is amazing. It's beautiful. How cool is it that you got to go all these amazing places? But the other part of me felt like, man, that would have that sounds like torture to me to to travel that much, be on that many flights. I'd be exhausted. And to me, it would all mixed in together. It definitely all mixed in together. But where I am right now in my life and where I was then, the opportunity to just, I mean, go around the world in six weeks, have it fully paid and have all these experiences and it's going to be safe. It's organized. I, I mean, yes, there were sometimes I was incredibly tired and those parts in those videos where we'd been up for 50 hours plus, but there's nothing that I would change about it. And that's all part of the experience. And I, after that, I was only inspired to do more traveling, hence my home office failure instead of less. So I, it is exhausting. So I, I think they target like millennials and college grads like perfectly because I think if you were even in your thirties, you'd be like, there's no way I can handle that. My body would just collapse. But I think when you're like 23, 24 or something, like it's the perfect time to do it. Yeah. But I don't know. I know many people that are in their thirties that are working a nine to five and they're commuting two hours into an office, doing their day job, going home, going to bed, repeat, repeat, repeat. That would look at this experience and it's amazing. Yeah, and, that's true. And what you get out of it at the end, apart from just the list of countries you can add to your passport, is understanding of the different cultures. And I don't know, but when you travel, I'm sure you know this, you see things and you're like, wow, that's a great idea. Why aren't we doing that back here? Or wow, his mindset is great. Or, you know, I had a rough day, but then I can remember some of those people that I saw when I was in India. Yeah. And their day's a little bit rougher and I'm going to get through this spilled coffee that's a lot right of now and move like on it. so was france the last stop or was there more france was the last and stop. what did it feel like after all that ended you know i'm assuming you went back to to canada mm-hmm. well like what did your friends think when you told them about this or you showed them that video <laughs> they had a million questions and i mean like you said it, it just all went by so quickly so i i would answer it but it was all kind of a blur together and readjusting back home because especially with Ottawa it's very it's a very close community my friends are all friends I had from high school before I went away for school most people grow up in Ottawa go to school in Ottawa get a government job in Ottawa and it's not this kind of travel mindset so I didn't have very many people that I could share the experience with yeah especially because I would imagine Ottawa specific, but just all of Canada, it's, it's so expensive to fly or travel even around, even inside of Canada. It is ridiculous. You're talking close to $1,000 to get from Ottawa to Vancouver in the same country. And then here we are and I could get London to Barcelona for 20 euros. Yeah, it, it's it really is insane. But I think that's why I meet so many Canadians who do these around the world trips because they feel, they figure... Hey, if I'm going to fly out of Canada, I might as well spend some time seeing a lot. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, there's the stigma with you. You graduate high school, you go to university, then you're recovering from your debt from university and you need to get a job right away. So there isn't that break. I mean, if I didn't get this experience, I wouldn't have traveled like this at all either. I would be in Ottawa. So I know in like the UK, it's very normal to take a gap year. Is that the case in Canada or is that not common? No, no, it's not. If you take a gap year, you're, I mean, everyone will say it's fine, but there's still this, if you did well in high school, you should be moving on to university or college the next year. And when you graduate college, 
it's kind of normal to get a like start your career right away like to try to find a job at least i mean what else can you do because of the money issue unless you were working all through college or university and you had an amazing scholarship you can't really afford to not start working but we're in a bit of a job crisis so the jobs you're getting are entry level minimum wage and you're overqualified for it so you can't really start saving you're paying your expenses and then like like i said most people will move back home with their parents as it makes sense there's the space you can't afford rent and it's the only way to save yeah i, I can imagine like especially in expensive cities which i which i think is pretty much every big city in canada oh yeah it's it's so crazy that like you ha- like you have to like you just have to move back in their parents and you have to get a, pretty much any job but do you think mm-hmm. that now with remote work and this online business movement that it's going to change? I think so. I think what needs to happen is one big company, whether they already have home office-based employees or they're not remote, needs to get a buzz in the media and push this remote culture and say, we're not judging our employees by the amount of hours that their butt is in a chair in our office. Yeah, they're doing their work online. And for those of you listening, I bet most of the work that you're doing in an office is already remote. Like you're probably not sitting there beside your coworkers saying, Hey, can you check out this on my screen? Let's collaborate. You're IMing them when you need them. So you're, you're, what you're doing is already online. So when there's more of a move that it can be done from anywhere, it's going to save companies a lot of money. It's going to save employees money and time. It's, I mean, there's a million studies online that show the boost in productivity and all the benefits of remote work. So I think once one big company gets on board with this, others are going to start to follow. And I bet 10 years from now, it'll be very common to find other people like myself that work for in the corporate sector, but don't necessarily need to be location dependent. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because you're actually one of the very few people I've met who have a corporate job that's working remotely. Most people I meet in the kind of nomad scene, they're either a freelancer or they have their own business, whether doing e-commerce, Amazon, book publishing, dropshipping, you know, IT or whatever it is. There are very few people I meet right now that have like a stable corporate job, especially in Chiang Mai, because I think the time zone difference there is much harder. But here actually in Grand Canary, I've actually met more and more people who you know, have normal hours, whether they're working the European time zone, because it's London time zone here anyways, or they're working the North American time zone, which is very doable mm-hmm. too. You no, know, I, I completely agree. Like I mentioned, I've met one other employee and he is from the US. He had just pitched it to his boss and came here. And he, prior to that, he didn't even own a passport. And it was a huge retention benefit for the company because like he said, I love my job. I don't have a passport. I've never been outside of the US. And I know that right now I need to travel. I would like to keep my job. This is how I'm going to make it work. And the company said yes. So they could have lost that employee and had all the expenses of new training and business loss from someone who is just starting out filling his position. But instead, by allowing him to work remotely, he works on their time zone here. It's only four or five hours difference, depending on daylight savings. (laughs) And, um, and is able to keep his job. So there just needs to be more awareness about people like him and the benefits that it's giving to the company and to himself. And there's no other employees that work remote in his uh, company. Yeah, that's cool. He's he's pioneering. He it. is. I like that. I also think that 
businesses in general should stop caring about how many hours you're sitting in front of your computer or in the, and you know, you spend it in the office and start caring more about what they actually need you to do. So have either project based or goal based or revenue based uh, positions where like to me, it just makes more sense. You know, like you shouldn't, you know, like you shouldn't reward someone for sitting in front of their desk for nine hours if they aren't productive and aren't doing anything or they're just moving things around, which I think most employees are, are guilty of because they're like, well, I'm getting paid the same anyways. I just have to be, and I have to be here regardless of how fast I do my work. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to sit here and take my sweet time or, you know, I'm like surfing the internet or I'm chatting with my uh, colleagues about the latest episode or whatever, you know, and I'm technically here and working, but, you know, because I have no incentive to get things done quicker or automated or figure out, you know, a better way to do it versus if my boss said, okay, you know, you have, you know, these are your tasks and I don't care if it takes you, you know, two hours to do it or 10 hours to do it, just get it done. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, exactly. You've hit the nail on the head. And there's so many employees that will sit there and they won't even have work to do sometimes, but you have to stay until five o'clock. And by working remotely, I know that my manager doesn't know if I've put in 16 hours today or if I put in two hours. It is all based on output. And that's with any remote job. So I feel like I'm working more and I'm using my time better. Because at the end of the day, I want to be able to send her a a recap email and say, this is what I accomplished today. These were some of the issues. Here's where we are and here's where we're going moving forward. Whether if I was in the office, I wouldn't need to do that. If something came up during the day and things happened or I took an extra long lunch, it doesn't really matter if I didn't finish it today because I'll do it tomorrow. Now I feel like I need to show something for it. So I work harder. Yeah, I like that. So some other benefits that I think you had mentioned earlier about hiring either remotely or allowing your employees to work remotely is you can attract a generation of millennials who want to travel, who want to live remotely and have the skills to, you know, to do a great job, but normally they would work for a different company or you just wouldn't attract them. So like, what are your thoughts on using remote like location dependence as a way to get top talent? My thoughts are that it would work. Simply put, I know so many people that say, you know, Megan, are you just on vacation? What do you do? How do you travel so much? And I say, no, like I'm working full-time hours. I haven't taken a vacation day in all of 2017 yet. I'm saving that for Thailand next month. It's full company benefits. And I work with an amazing team too. So I have that community as well. And I'm just location independent. So by giving that perk and saying, you can have this full-time job and you can do it from anywhere that you want. I think that's going to make people motivated to not only apply, but to educate themselves on that company that's doing it. So it's going to generate awareness. It spurs word of mouth. So many people ask who I work for, where I, what I do. Yeah, and I think that really is the future. Like I think more and more, I mean, I, don't know, I think it's a balance. I think, especially in a place like Grand Canary, it's really perfect as kind of the stepping stone for a lot of remote workers because you can really just have a normal life here. You can live here year round. The weather's good. There's so many things to do on the weekends, you know, and you can just have a normal working day from, you know, whatever the, whatever the time zone is. Like, for, for example, like what is Canada hours here? So I'm five hours off as of today with the U.S. going back for daylight savings. So I will have an overlap with my manager of four to five hours in a day 
which is just fine. I don't need to spend all of it. That's plenty. Exactly. I was thinking even two hours would be fine. So if we needed to get on a call, it works. But again, with the time zones, I think companies need to lay out, this is the position. These are the technical requirements. These are the hours that you would need to be available. And then let the employees find a solution that works for their needs and fits those job requirements. So don't say you must be in a home office from Ottawa or you must anywhere. Don't even tie location to the employment. Lay out the requirements. Let them find a solution. I like that. And even in Thailand where it's the complete opposite time zone, I still made it work when I had to talk to my mm-hmm. U.S. suppliers during their time zone. I would just start working and at, you know, early in the morning, 7 or 8 in the morning, and I would overlap mm-hmm. but with one or two hours because it would be like, let's say, you know, right, like 4 p.m. in California time when I would wake up and start working, which isn't, you know, you know, isn't ideal for certain jobs, but for a lot of jobs, like it's actually better because nobody's distracting you by sending you emails and having the next thing or chatting with you while you're trying to get something done. You know, if anything, like by having a team in different different countries where, you know, you're able to basically get things done 24 hours a day and then you finish your piece, then you, you know, talk to your, your coworker or you know, have your meeting and then they're working on their piece and it's just like, it just kind of all works together. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, you knew that you had to be on these calls. So... For example, if there's an employee in the U.S. and they know that every Thursday in the U.S. time zone, they have a 3 p.m. call and they desperately want to go live in Thailand, then that employee is making that choice that at 3 a.m. in Thailand, they are getting on that call on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So you just know what your requirements are. I and like then it. you decide. Very, very cool. So I'm going to find that video of Megan around the world. It's on YouTube. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. This is episode 179 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Uh, any last words or any place uh, they can find you, Twitter, Instagram, or anything? I'm definitely on Instagram. So it's Megan.Goujon, M-E-G-A-N dot G-O-U-G-E-O-N. And I, I post all my travel photos on there. Also, starting starting a YouTube channel to get some of these um, co-working spaces, especially that Costa Rica one, because I have to share that with all of you. It's a dream up there. So you can stay tuned, but definitely find me uh, on Instagram. Okay. Very cool. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show. Oh, it's been a blast. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, Thank you for all the people who have been leaving these amazing five-star reviews of the podcast on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. You're the reason why we continue to have all these great episodes. And thank you to our sponsor, FreshBooks. If you guys need cloud accounting software to make your life easier as you're traveling, go to freshbooks.com slash travel. See all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.